Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed to by the prophets and by the law, even the righteousness of God, through faith in Jesus Christ, to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness. Because in His forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed To demonstrate at this present time his righteousness. That he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. When you purchase a diamond, the jeweler will display the stones on a piece of black velvet. He knows that a dark backdrop brightens the appearance of the diamonds. Well, in Romans chapter 3, Paul displays the diamonds of salvation. He puts on exhibit some magnificent stones. The glory and the grace of God shine and twinkle for all to see. In fact, God invites the world into his gallery to gawk and to gaze and to show its gratitude for the brilliant salvation that he has worked for you and me. But Paul, you see, is a shrewd jeweler. He presents these diamonds against the black velvet of man's sin. The first three chapters of Romans describe the total depravity of the human race. In fact, read these chapters in one sitting and you'll be downright depressed. The picture is ugly. The outlook is grim. In fact, by the time you reach the middle or so of chapter 3... Mankind is down for the count. We're all lost and condemned and damned to hell. Look at chapter 3 with me. Verse 10 slams the lid on our coffin. There is none righteous. No, not one. Verse 11 drives the nails into the lid. There is none who understands. There is none who seek after God. Verse 12 lures the coffin into the ground. There's none who does good, no, not one. Verse 23 shovels the dirt on top of the vault. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There you have it. The death and the burial of the entire human race. Paul guns us down with the machine gun of repetition. There is none, there is none, there is none, there is none. Paul uses the none gun. To shoot down our pride and our self-righteousness. Hey, the truth of our sin cuts our legs out from under us. It's impossible to think that any of us can stand on our own before God. By the middle of chapter 3, the velvet is about as dark as it can get. 
But remember, that's the intent. For the darker the backdrop, the brighter the diamonds. Picture of Paul the jeweler. He spreads out an ebony cloth and he sprinkles out four sparkling brilliant stones. On your own, the situation is hopeless. You could never afford these expensive gems on your own. But God devises a means of obtainment that doesn't depend on you or I. It's been worked up by His wisdom. It's been worked out by His grace. It was accomplished and paid for by Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross. And that's what we want to look at tonight. Tonight, I want us to marvel at these diamonds of salvation. Paul displays four beautiful gems. Justification. Redemption, propitiation, vindication. And the mere sound of those words should send goosebumps up and down your spine. They should make you downright giddy. They should thrill us. They should be music to our ears. But most of us, we don't even understand what they mean. Those are some really big words, Pastor Sandy. What's a justification? Or a redemption or a propiti what? Or a vindication? Reminds me of the young pastor's son. Having been raised in church, he'd always heard these terms like justification and propitiation and so forth. But he had never really learned the meaning of any of the terms. One day at school, the teacher asked her class, What's the definition of the word procrastination? Well, the pastor's son his hand shot straight up in the air. He said to the teacher, I'm not sure, but I know my church sure believes in it. <laughs> well, tonight I want us to discuss, I want to discuss with you four big words. But once you grasp these words, they'll be your best friend. You've heard the statement, diamonds are a girl's best friend. Well, that's true of Jesus' girl. His bride, the church, these diamonds will win your heart. Well, the first diamond of salvation is justification. In verse 24, Paul says, We're being justified freely by His grace. You know, biblically speaking, to justify a person is to treat them as if they have always been just or righteous or sinless. It's to be viewed by God just as if I'd never sinned. Did you know this is how God treats you if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ? Once a rich Englishman, a rich gentleman, he purchased a Rolls Royce. And he had the car shipped over to France where he planned a journey across Europe. And yet just a few days into his trip, the car broke down. Well, the man called the dealership back in England to see if they could provide him some assistance. Immediately, a crew of mechanics were dispatched. They flew across the English Channel. The mechanics worked nonstop until the repairs were complete. Well, when the man arrived home in England, he expected a hefty bill for the extraordinary service that the Rolls-Royce mechanics had provided him. But a bill never came. After a few weeks, he called and he inquired about the cost. He was surprised when the clerk at the dealership replied, What bill? He told her, he said, Well, the bill that 
that I incurred for the repairs that were done on my car over in France. She said, what repairs? Well, surely you remember the team of mechanics that flew to France to work on my car. Please check your records. After a long pause, the woman came back and she said, Sir, I'm sorry, but we have no record of any Rolls Royce ever breaking down and needing repairs. <laughs> now that's how every car dealership needs to operate. Understand, justification doesn't mean that God ignores our breakdowns. No, no, he fixes us, but he keeps no record of our malfunction. He considers it as if it never happened. God services us and he tunes us up and he fixes our flats and he repairs the damage caused by our sin. And then he never charges us a dime. Now that's a pretty good warranty. Justification includes forgiveness, but it is so much more than just forgiveness. You see, forgiveness is me paying off your credit card debt. That would be nice. But you can run it up again. Justification goes further. It's me paying off your debt, but then supplying you a line of credit so that you'll always maintain a positive balance. Jesus guarantees his followers that we'll never be caught with insufficient funds. He covers us completely. Notice 2 verse 24 doesn't say we've been justified. We are being justified, Paul puts it. It's in the continuous tense. God is constantly treating you and I as if we'd never sinned, even when we do. How he handles us remains the same. Of course, it grieves God when we sin. It does. And he works to mature us so that it doesn't keep happening. But God never alters how he chooses to treat us. God never tells one of his kids, Okay, sister, that's it. Enough's enough with you. You can just hit the road until you straighten out this mess. He never says that. God has never said to a believer, Forget your blessings until you start measuring up. Oh, no. Justification is God's decision to favor me in spite of my sin. Despite what I've done. We all need to settle this issue in our minds and in our hearts once and for all. As long as we trust in Jesus, He is committed to treating us as justified. And do you realize what this means? This means you should never feel timid or fearful about approaching God again. Even when you're not doing so well. Even when you're struggling and bogged down in sin, He still wants you to call on Him. He's still ready to bless you as much when you're struggling as when you're soaring. Justification means the terms of God's treatment never, ever change. I read of a Bible college professor who was a godly man. When he walked into the classroom, he just oozed with God's grace. He, he glowed with God's glory. And his students wanted to uncover the secret of his holy and heavenly life. They thought it Perhaps it was his prayer life. And so one night they hid in the bushes outside his window to listen to this spiritual man pray. They anticipated this fervent, passionate, pleading prayer. They were shocked when the old fellow jumped into bed, pulled up the covers, and then he sighed, God, I thank you that we're on the same old terms. But that's what it means to be justified. That no matter what happens or how well I perform, 
in Christ, I am always on the same old terms with God. This is the kind of treatment Jesus has secured for us. Now let's get back to the earlier picture. Diamond dealing Paul, he spreads out the ebony cloth on the countertop. And then he opens up his leather pouch and he sprinkles out these sparkling, brilliant diamonds. The girl by your side, she squeals. She's about to cut off the blood to your arm. She's squeezing your arm so tight. But then you start looking at the price tags. Oh my. And beads of sweat begin to pop up on your forehead. That wad of money in your back pocket, it is shrinking by the second. But now imagine the salesman. He collects those stones. He puts them back in the pouch. And then he hands them to you and he says, Please take them. They're yours. These diamonds are my gift to you. Just enjoy them and be thankful for them and tell other people about them. How would you respond? You would faint on the spot. And yet that is exactly what God has done for us. Verse 24 says we've been justified freely. Freely, mind you. The word translated means without a cause. There is nothing in us or about us Nothing we've done or are or ever hope to be that can warrant this kind of treatment. Romans 3 tells us that the price was paid by His blood. You see, this is what Jesus did on the cross for us. His sacrifice enabled God's love to treat me as justified. And now it comes to me as grace. As unmerited favor. It's love that's on the house. No human virtue can merit this kind of treatment from God. The only explanation for how God can deal with me so kindly is His grace. He loves me. And Jesus died to prove it. Once a little boy visited the Washington Monument. He walked up to the soldier on duty. He pulled out a quarter and he asked if he could buy the monument. Well, the soldier, he chuckled and he said, not for a quarter. But the little wheeler dealer, he wasn't through. He said, I thought you'd say that. And then he reached into his pocket and he added another dime. Well, after the soldier had finished laughing, he explained, Sonny, there are three things you need to know. First, you can't buy the Washington Monument, not for 35 cents or for $35 million. It's too expensive. Second, the monument is not for sale. And third, if you're an American citizen, you don't need to buy this monument for it already belongs to you. Hey, you know many believers tonight, they, they, feel for, they, they long in their deepest part to feel forgiven. They long to be confident in their relationship with God. They want to believe that God is as good as I've described Him to be. But you know our problem? Our confidence wanes in light of our own weakness. We get burdened down by our own sin and our own guilt and our own failure. And we tend to draw back from God. We assume that we have to win our way back into God's favor. We start to assume, man, after what I've done, I need to buy the monument. But justification is not for sale. In fact, it's way too expensive for any of us anyway. It requires what we don't have. Sinless blood. And if you're in Christ, it already belongs to you anyway. 
Hey, wait until you get it together to return to God and you'll wait forever. Rather, put your faith in Jesus and let God treat you with His grace. And He'll bestow His favor upon you tonight. Well, the second diamond of salvation is redemption. In verse 24, Paul adds that we've been justified through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. There are actually several different Greek words that get translated into English by this single word, redemption. One is the word agorazo. It's from the word agora, which referred to the city center. The agora was the marketplace. It was the place where the slaves were auctioned and sold. And so the word agorazo referred to the purchase of a slave. Well, if you're a Christian tonight, you are the purchased possession of Jesus Christ. This is true of you. He holds the title deed to your life. Through the blood of His Son, Jesus, God purchased you out of sin slavery. You are no longer your own. Now you belong to Jesus. But this word agorazo is not the word that's used here. There's another Greek word translated redemption. It's the word ex-agorazo. It too refers to the purchase of a slave. But ex-agorazo speaks of permanence. You see, many Roman landowners, they would buy slaves to help out in the fields. And then they would sell them back after the harvest time. But a slave purchased ex-agorazo was never returned. He became his master's permanent possession. And this is also how Jesus sees you. His plan is not to use you up and then trade you in or throw you away. He loves you. And he wants you forever. You're his permanently. Ex-agorazo. But neither is this the word used in our text. I've just given you two sermons. And I haven't even got to the word that's in the text. The word translated redemption in verse 24 is the word laturo. And it refers to the practice of purchasing a slave for the purpose of setting him free. This is what Jesus has done for you and me. He bought us out of spiritual slavery to set us free from the pain and the guilt and the bondage of sin. All that's been holding you back. All that's been keeping you down. Jesus wants to free you from those things. He wants to deliver you. Jesus purchases you and I to restore us. To make us all God meant for us to be. Two factory workers, they labored side by side for years. One was the classic underachiever. Always late, perpetually lazy. Always on the verge of getting himself fired. But one day, his co-worker noticed a remarkable change in this man. Overnight, the slothful man began to care about his job. He turned into a productive employee and a pleasure to work with. His entire attitude was transformed. And his co-worker wanted to know why. He heard an amazing story. This fellow explained that while he was in college, he'd been involved in a fraternity hazing. One night, they'd taken a few freshmen to a long, dark gravel road for a so-called test of nerve. They put the freshmen out in the middle of the road and drove straight at them. The kids were supposed to wait as long as possible before leaping to safety. Tragically, though, one of the young men froze. The factory worker was driving the car that hit the boy going 70 miles per hour. 
Well, the man's foolish action haunted him the rest of his life. He avoided prosecution, but he dropped out of school, bounced from job to job, became an alcoholic. That one incident sucked the very life out of him. He lost all motivation. He could never forget the look of terror in that boy's face just before his car ran over him. That is, until one day, he received a visitor. It was the mother of the young man that he had killed. She said that she had hated him for years, and she had plotted his revenge time and time again. Her revenge time and time again. But recently, she'd been given new life in Jesus Christ, and she now wanted to forgive the man who had killed her son. You know, the man telling his friend this story, he said of the mother's visit, he said, I looked deep into her eyes that morning, and I received permission to be the kind of man I might have been had I never killed that boy. Her forgiveness changed my life. Did you know a pardon can bring you freedom? This is the meaning of redemption. If you'll look closely at the cross of Jesus tonight, you too will find permission to start over. Jesus wants to help you be the person you might have been. This is why he purchased you. He wants to set you free. Whatever it is you've done, whatever it is that's haunted you for years, I want you to listen to the words of God tonight. You are forgiven. You're forgiven. You have God's permission to start over. I told you these diamonds of salvation were some beautiful, dazzling stones. And the third diamond is equally spectacular. It is the jewel of propitiation. Verse 25 refers to Jesus, whom God set forth to be a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, God has passed over the sins that were previously committed. Notice in times past, when judgment had come due, God passed over those sins. God restrained his hand of judgment. You know, there were countless occasions when God would have been just and fair in exterminating the whole human race. But he passed on the opportunity. Acts 17 verse 30 tells us that in times past, God winked at sin. He closed his eyes to the evil done. And it wasn't that the sin didn't bother him. Oh, it bothered him greatly. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm getting to the point where it's hard for me to watch the nightly news. It just riles me. I sit there and get angry. In fact, here's a sample of a single, day, a single day's news in the recent news cycle. In a single day, a 12-year-old boy was used as a heroin mule. He was made to swallow 87 condoms filled with heroin so drug dealers could make a few bucks. A suicide bomber killed six people and injured 86 others. On the same day, a teenager sexually assaulted and killed his 22-month-old niece. And I could just go on and on. I mean, it's tough to stomach this stuff on a regular basis. It makes you mad. But if it angers me, how do you think God feels? I'm only exposed to this evil for a mere 22 minutes on the nightly news while God sees every grimy act done in every slimy place all across the planet. 
Trust me, God gets extremely angry. It arouses his wrath. I read of the ordeal of a man in Tyler, Texas named Robert Hardy. Hardy woke up one night and he went to check on his three-month-old son. When he walked into the boy's room, he found the bassinet tipped over. He quickly returned to his bedroom to see if his wife had the baby. She didn't. They both ran downstairs in search of the child. When Hardy went into his study, he noticed that the glass top on the tank where he kept his pet python had been pushed off. And here's what had happened. This 12-foot snake had escaped the tank, had slithered upstairs, had tipped over the bassinet, and had eaten the baby. And Hardy was so enraged. He was so furious. He just lost it. He ran outside. He found an axe. And he proceeded to chop the snake up into a thousand pieces. And who in the world would blame him? That snake got exactly what it deserved. And in the same way, God is infuriated when he looks down on the snake-like actions of humankind. God sees predators slithering along, consuming innocent people. This is how God feels. This is how outraged he is when he sees a rapist in action or a child molester or a terrorist. And then he sees the Lady Gagas of the world sing about their love for Judas and mock the very son God sacrificed to save us from sin. I'm telling you, God's holy sensibilities are continually being trampled on and violated every day, a million times a day. And not only by the snake-like actions of others. For I have to confess to you tonight, there have been times when I've slithered with the best of them. We've all been guilty ourselves of satisfying number one at the expense of someone else. I'm sure God has been tempted many, many times to pick up an axe and chop up the snakes. But he waited. He, he held back all of that outrage and he waited. He waited for a day 2,000 years ago. The day he nailed his own son to a Roman cross. There! At the cross, God vented His anger toward the sin of the world upon His only Son. God brought down His own axe on His only Son, Jesus. You see, the reason God winked at sin in times past and suppressed His righteous rage is that He planned all along to take out His wrath on His own Son. Sandy Adams deserved to be hacked up. But God unleashed His anger towards me on His only begotten Son. <sighs> That's love that moistens your eyes. That's love that boggles your brain. That's love that drives you to your knees. How could God love us that much? And yet He does. Which brings us to the definition of this long word, propitiation. It, it means to appease or to placate. 
You see, the justice of God is satisfied legally through justification. But it is satisfied emotionally through propitiation. You know, there were two sacrifices, very similar sacrifices in the Old Testament. The sin offering covered a person's sin, while the burnt offering presented a sweet aroma to God. You know, the sin offering justified man, while the burnt offering satisfied God. And today the cross of Jesus does both. It justifies us. And then it satisfies God's justice. God both vented His anger and outrage towards sin and satisfied His justice at the cross of Jesus Christ. When we trace this Greek word propitiation to its Hebrew origin, we discover it's the same word translated in the Old Testament as mercy seat. You remember in Jerusalem's temple, God's glory rested over an oblong-shaped box called the Ark of the Covenant. It was that box that Indiana Jones stole from the Nazis. In this ark were the stone tablets that God had given to Moses. God intended to meet man over the ark. The basis for man's relationship with God was man's obedience to the law that was written on those stone tablets. But you see, this doesn't bode well for sinners like us. Because we fall short. Of those standards. Since we're unable to meet the sacred standard. How can we meet with God? The law literally cries out for judgment. Yet God put a lid on the law. For over the top of the ark. Set a solid gold lid. Called the mercy seat. This was the place where the priest. Sprinkled the sacrificial blood that was shed for sin. Here the demands of the law were satisfied and God extended mercy. If you had lived in Old Testament times and if you had wanted to meet God and receive His mercy, the directions would have been crystal clear. You're headed to the mercy seat. And Paul tells us that God is now our propitiation. Jesus is our propitiation or our place of mercy. He alone has kept all of God's commands. He has earned a right standing with God that He can pass on now to us. So where can I find God today? Where can I meet my Maker and discover His kindness and His favor? Well, the directions are still crystal clear. The cross of Jesus is now God's place of mercy. Well, there's one final diamond on display in this evening's text. In Romans 3 verse 23, Paul explains how our salvation is has become God's vindication. Justification and redemption and propitiation, these first three diamonds are for us a comfort and a hope and an assurance. They created me a sigh of relief. Wow, I'm forgiven. But this last diamond of salvation, it takes my breath away. If the first three diamonds reflect God's grace, this fourth one reveals His glory. For Paul tells us that on the cross, Jesus vindicated the character of God. In a single stroke of genius, God became both just and the justifier. Understand, we look at the cross of Christ from a very narrow, selfish point of view. We tend to focus on what Jesus did for us. 
justification, redemption, propitiation. But there's another beautiful side to the cross. Songwriter Steve Camp has a song entitled, Christ Died for God. What a provocative title. Jesus not only died for you, but he also died for God. His motivation wasn't merely our salvation, it was also God's vindication. You see, our sin puts God in an awkward situation. He's pulled in two directions. On the one hand, his justice demands that we be punished. I mean, we should get what's coming to us, shouldn't we? God promised that the wages of sin was death. He should fulfill his promise, be a man of his word. On the other hand, his love compels him to forgive us and to fix us. God loves us and he wants to help us, but his justice can't just let sin slide. I mean, think about America's judicial system today and the crisis of confidence that exists. We've let too many blatant criminals walk. Get off with just a slap on the wrist. No wonder we now question our courts. Are they even capable of meeting out justice? God won't allow this kind of erosion of confidence to occur in his court. That's why as much as he loves us, he couldn't just let us off scot-free. That's why Christ died for God. For on the cross, Jesus made a way for God to save us and save face at the same time. Through the work of Jesus on Calvary's cross, sin was punished and the sinner was forgiven. Jesus satisfied justice and set us free in one bold stroke. The story is told of a time when nomadic tribes roamed across the plains of Siberia, much the way the American Indians covered the Great Plains. There was, though, a Russian tribe that had a strong, wise ruler. This chief was well respected by all. One day, though, it was discovered that the camp had fallen victim to a series of thefts. Well, the chief ordered the perpetrator caught and beaten with ten lashes. But the thefts continued. No one was ever caught. The chief upped the ante to 20 lashes and then finally 40 lashes. Of course, everyone knew that 40 lashes was a death sentence. The only tribe member tough enough to survive such a beating was the chief himself. What a shock when the thief turned out to be the chief's own mother. And the chief was tempted to just let mom go. But he couldn't. He was a man of his word. Justice had to be served. And so the day came. The woman was tied to a stump. The executioner readied his whip. And just as the man was about to administer the first blow, the chief walked over to the stump and he draped his huge body over his small, frail mother. And he took her 40 lashes for her. Only God is strong enough to execute justice and be executed for love. Only God can take the full brunt of our sin and win our forgiveness in one sweep. God became a man and He draped His body over all those who trust in Him. He's now a righteous judge and a loving son and I am proud of Him for being both. Well, as they say, Diamonds are a girl's best friend.
And they may be. But these diamonds of salvation are every Christian's best friend. Justification and redemption and propitiation and vindication. Have you tonight received God's free gift? If you haven't, why not? And if you've received those diamonds, are you proud of them? I mean, do you wear them close to your heart and everywhere you go? Do you think about them and talk about them and count them as your greatest treasure and then tell other people about them as well? Today, you have a friend in the diamond business. (laughs) And his name is Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for your word tonight and for the wonderful blessings that you've poured out upon us justification and redemption and propitiation vindication Lord you treat us just as if we'd never sinned even when we do your treatment never changes your your love is that good Lord you, you purchased us to set us free from all that holds us back Lord you have become a place of mercy in a world that exacts justice In a world that gets its pound of flesh. There is one place where we can go for mercy. And that's to Jesus. And you've even resolved the difficulties that existed in your own character. Christ died for you as well as for us. We're amazed tonight, Lord, at your grace and your glory. And on this Good Friday, we understand a little bit better why we call it good. The things you've accomplished, the work that you've done. It's good. We're blessed. We're thankful. And now, Lord, as we take part in communion, Lord, as we take of the body and of the blood of Christ, Lord, I pray that you would prime our hearts to trust you more. Make these things even more real than they are now. May your spirit work in our hearts. May we relive that day so long ago when Jesus was crushed by the executioners, when his blood was spilt. May we relive that day through the bread and through the wine. And may we realize just what you experienced so that we can experience so much that's good. We love you, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.